is in his temple. Amen? Amen. How many people believe that God is on the throne? throne. throne? Do you believe that in your hearts? Amen. Are you sure? Well, we will take a test at the end of the sermon to find out exactly where we think God is. All right? Because that's what Habakkuk found out in trying times. But uh, let's turn to chapter 2. I will read the whole chapter. I make comments conceptually on the whole chapter. I'm not going to go through verse by verse. I will speak theme thematic. I will speak on the several themes that are going on there. Apply a little bit to what we're going on today in America and our own personal lives and Christian faith and, and, and where we are with Christ. Well, let's start in verse 2. <clears throat> the prophet says, I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower. I will look out to see what he will answer me and, I will, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to its end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come to pass. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor. An arrogant man is never at rest. His greed is as wide as soul, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him when the scoffing and the riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own? For how long? And loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples, and you have fortified your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and finds a city of iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink and pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man, the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when it makes its, when it makes, when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple, but all the earth keeps silent before him. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to bless this sermon. 
I ask you to help me, your servant, Father God, articulate to the best of my ability the spiritual truth that's relevant today for us, Father God. How you are in your holy temple, Father God. Let us enter into Habakkuk's complaint. Let us enter in to your answer. Let us too be like watchmen on a tower waiting for you to answer us, to give us understanding, Father God, even to write it down and, and to have to wait for the vision away to point the time, Father God. Give us understanding into this 3,000-year-old text, Father God, and how it's binding on all believers because nothing has changed, Father. Men still build nations on bloodshed Drunkenness, evil, sex, nakedness, exploiting, Father God, the widow, the orphan, the alien, Father God. Violence and destruction are still around us, Father God. Human nature, in all its glory, has not gotten better at all. We're still depraved at the bottom of our hearts, Father God. So, God, I ask you to be kind to us here today. Be kind to me as I try to articulate, Father God, what your prophet is speaking to us. In Jesus' name. God is in his holy temple. Question, how many know that God answers prayer? We know that. We desire that. That's, That's part of our relationship with the Lord. We need that. I need to know that God hears our prayers and he answers prayers. And we learn as we go along that his answering prayers is not always the easy way. Isn't that true? Sometimes it's, it, it, there's a hard way. It's not always the way we want. God has a way of taking something complicated and dragging it out over a long time to bring an answer. Because sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes he does bless us right away with a quick answer. Habakkuk was looking for a quick answer. How long, O oh Lord... God gives him an answer, but as we're going to find out, it's not always that quick, nor is it always that easy. But when it is God's answer, it brings security and rest to the heart. Amen? That's the most important thing. And that's what we're going to find out. I'll give you an example of prayer. I was crying out to the Lord for my brother. Love my brother. The man made every wrong choice he could possibly make in life. Except the worst choice. He did not deny Christ. He knew he was a sinner and needed to be saved. He knew that. But the way he came about that wasn't easy. I witnessed to him for years, me and my wife. I witnessed to my mother for years. And and then one day I got the call and uh, uh, your brother's in the hospital. Got in a bad car accident. So on and so forth. But the car accident was his fault. He almost killed a man on the open road. And I remember him telling me, could you imagine this is happening to me? I said, do you understand what you did? You were driving under the influence of drugs in the wrong lane and almost killed the family. And all he could think about was him. He can't, he couldn't hear anything about Jesus. Though he was saying yes to me and my wife. He was too far gone. See, I wanted him to get saved. But I didn't realize God had to really put him in a place. So the cops came and arrested him and put him in jail. And while he was in jail, he got put right next to the jailhouse preacher. <laughs> man was filled with faith, filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Word of God, unashamed of the gospel, had his own issues that bring him back into jail. But nevertheless, he was God's servant, brought my brother to salvation, 
They spent a year together. He discipled them. And he came out and he had his troubles, my brother, but uh, he eventually died and, and went home to be with the Lord. But like I said, he made a lot of wrong choices, maybe every wrong choice you can make, but the worst choice he never made, and that was deny Christ. He knew we needed Christ. That prayer of mine was answered. That prayer of mine and my wife, we prayed for many times it was answered, but not the way I saw it. It took an almost calamity. It took almost a death and an arrest and so on and so forth. This other gentleman and, uh, you know, bringing these people together to bring salvation. And, you know, we don't see the big picture like God does, do we? You know? And so Habakkuk is crying out, how long, oh God? How long? And that's what the story begins with. We've been going over this the last couple of weeks. Uh, the story begins in chapter 1 with a complaint by the prophet that Judah and Jerusalem is filled with destruction, violence, unfaithfulness, corruption is rampant within the leadership of the nation, the king is, is corrupt, the priests are corrupt, the prophets are corrupt. It's just, it's just corruption everywhere. And God's law is paralyzed. So if the, the law of God is paralyzed, there's no hope for justice for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the day laborer, for the alien. There's, there's no hope. The very thing that brings justice to a nation was paralyzed by corrupt people, by corrupt leadership. Habakkuk is watching this and he's crying out to God and he's saying, God, how long are you going to cause my eyes to see such violence and destruction? Such a paralyzing of your law. And not just that, why are you standing by idly, God? And the word means to be indifferent. How can you watch Jerusalem and Judah and, and, the, and the righteous suffer under the hands of wicked people, the king and the prophet and the priest who are there to minister to your people, but they're, they're crooked, they're corrupt on the inside. And you're watching human bloodshed and, and God, it looks like you're doing nothing whatsoever. And there's a complaint, it's a just complaint because he's only looking from his own little world. He's, he's seeing it, but he's seeing it only from his perspective. He's not seeing it from God's perspective yet, he will. But he wants to know why suffering, why the corruption, and basically why aren't you doing anything about it? Give an account of yourself, God. I'm calling you on the rug. What have you been doing? Are you sleeping on the job? Habakkuk has been accusing God of being idle. He hasn't asked God to act. He just wants to know why God seems to be silent and non-committal. This complaint of Habakkuk sets the stage for the rest of what happens. There's only two chapters, two, two chapters left. Nothing happens right away. Except the prophecy by God comes. A prophecy concerning the future that Habakkuk is to write down. It is both good and it is not so good. The first four verses give great insight in chapter 1 of the growing Christian. As our life goes on with the Lord over the years, our perception of the world changes. Our perception of our own life changes, and it should. That's a good growing sign that you are growing in Christ. As Luke 18, of which we prayed on in the beginning, teaches us that the, 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 the just, the, the election, cry out for justice in a world that's filled with corruption. We should cry out that the gospel is not paralyzed, that people truly understand the truth. 
And as we grow with Christians and, and we see the corruption in the world and we see the corruption in the Christian church and we see the corruption to the truth and we see evil ambitions taking over and we cry out, God, how long? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come Lord. When will the madness stop, Father? As we grow as Christians, we come as a young Christian. I was 30 years old and I thought about my life and my this and oh, the ministry. And, you know, and, and, and as I grow up now, 26 years later, I'm really like, God, we need a new world. We need a new earth. We need something brand new. Because our perception grows. And in a way, we cry out like Habakkuk. How long, O oh Lord? When will the madness stop? Paul teaches this in Romans 8 when he says, We groan, believers groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's a bigger picture that the Holy Spirit teaches us inside that we long for. God's faithful. And he answers Habakkuk. He says, Look and see. God has been at work. He's raising up an evil army. That's God's answer to Habakkuk's prayer. Well, look and see amongst the nations. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a brutal people, to bring judgment and discipline upon Judah for her, Judah for her sinful ways, for her backsliding, her idolatry, not listening to Jeremiah, not listening to the other prophets, not recognizing that Israel, the northern kingdom, fell for the same reason. A hundred years earlier. And now they're coming for Judah. And and nobody's going to listen to the prophet. No one's listening to the word of God. So I'm raising up an army. Habakkuk. That's going to bring judgment on Judah. Raise Jerusalem to the ground. And take all the people captive. 600 miles away to Babylon. The vision is not good. This is not the answer. This, is, I, this does not compute to Habakkuk. This is, this is not the God I know who has pure eyes, the rock of Israel. This is not him who can't tolerate sin. How can you raise up a more wicked people to persecute the righteous? How, how can this be? This is, this is not what I expected. I prayed. I, I wanted you to, I bring my complaint before you, and you're telling me something that just makes no sense to me. How could you do this, God? I guess your ways are not my ways. So the answer raises more questions. How could the everlasting God, the rock of the Hebrews, whose eyes are pure to look at evil, actually use and even ordain an evil nation for such a brutal task? God is raising up the Chaldeans to come over to Judah and raise it to the ground. Ruin it. Once and for all. Remember what we said several weeks ago. Never say God would. Never. I've learned enough for the God of the Bible ever to put my opinions and say, well, God would never. I know I'll never say that. I, God's ways are not our ways. And sometimes he moves in mysterious, mysterious ways. I could have never thought as I prayed for my brother that the circumstances that had to unfold had to take that way. That it had to get worse before it got better. That's what God is saying here. It's going to get better. 
but it has to get worse. The question raises more, the answer raises more questions. He's not just perplexed about the violence and God's seemingly idleness, but he's perplexed about God's answer to it all. But he knows that God answers his prophet. So Habakkuk waits. He prays again. He waits patiently for another answer. And he waits faithfully as a watchman on the wall of a city watches over the safety of its inhabitants. I will wait. I will station myself. I will stand here. I will wait for God to speak to me. But before God gives the answer to this faithful prophet, in the midst of unfaithful Israel. He tells him to write it down. Even though the vision tarries, continue to wait for it. It will surely come. Even though it looks like nothing happening, it looks like sin is winning, it looks like evil is having its day, wait and pray for justice will prevail. This is the faith that Jesus is talking about in Luke 18. But in the interim, God's righteous ones, as we saw in verse 4 last week, those persecuted and downtrodden, will be called to continually live faithfully to the Lord as they hold on to the past promises of God and future prophecy from the Lord. They will live continually upright in a godly and ungodly and declining world. And what they'll never do, the righteous who are waiting for the vision to come to pass, the righteous, the faithful, who are waiting for the appointed time, the righteous, the faithful, the believer with childlike faith, even though he sees nothing happening, he hears nothing happening, and it looks like it's getting worse, he will maintain his integrity, he will maintain his morality, he will maintain his faithfulness in an unfaithful world. No matter what the world says, no matter what the world is doing, no matter what direction the world looks like it's going into, he will stand their ground, she will stand their ground, and continue maintain their integrity in God. That's what the faithful do. They wait upon the Lord. Waiting is such a hard part of the Christian life. Because in our heart we want something, we see it, we need it, and God only knows how much we want it now. Every Christian knows that dynamic. But we have to wait. God's faithful people don't have knee-jerk reactions but remain cool, calm, and collective as their faith is under fire. As our faith is under fire in America today, we need to stay sober-minded, cool, calm, collective. God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Don't go by what you see. Don't go by what you hear. Don't get get caught up in the drama of the day. Stay focused on the Lord. The second answer from God about how can he use the wicked to swallow up the man more righteous than themselves. The second answer is more elaborate. And he gives a detailed description of the fall of the wicked Babylonians. This catches Habakkuk's attention. The first answer gave the rise of a wicked nation. The second answer gives the fall of the wicked nation. As Isaiah 40 says that God can raise a nation, God can lower a nation. 
God can raise a kingdom. God can lower a kingdom. God can raise a man. God can lower a man. Matter of fact, God can do whatever he wants to do. And that's the answer he gives here. And God does this in a very interesting way. He is five woes. That's the construction of chapter 2. These five woes, these five taunts. And basically what he's saying, be careful who you meet up, because you're going to meet the same people where? On the way down. You're going to have your rise, Babylonians. I'm going to allow you for a season to be the mightiest nation, but one day another nation is going to come and swallow you up. And it's interesting the way he has it there. The way God describes it here is through the eyes of those once persecuted. It's not God who's taunting the Babylonians. It's the faithful Jews. Faithful Jews who aren't even alive yet. You've got to understand prophecy. When you understand biblical prophecy, and this is what Habakkuk is seeing, he's seeing this taunt song. He's seeing these five woes. And who's saying it? It's a future generation. A future generation that's alive in Babylon, in captivity, as Cyrus is coming and taking down Nebuchadnezzar and taking down the Babylonians. And those who were once mighty and prideful and arrogant are now slaughtered by the sword. They will watch God's prophecy, this future generation of faithful Jews in the land of Babylon in captivity, there for someone else's sin. They will watch this word come to pass. They will go to Habakkuk and they will see that 70 years or 60 years or 50 years or 40 years or 90 years earlier, God told Habakkuk, write the vision down. Don't it tarry, wait for it. And that's what faithful people do. God writes to a generation that's not even born yet. We want God to answer our prayers. We want God to do something for us now. But many times God speaks to one generation or speaks to a future generation through a previous generation. The previous generation, understand something about Habakkuk, most likely he died. Most likely. Did you ever read the book of Daniel? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? They're the ones that were carried off by the wicked Babylonians. Ezekiel was carried off by the wicked Babylonians. Many, if not most, died and were slaughtered. But they remained faithful. They were aware of this prophecy. They were aware that one day what's happening now to us is going to happen to them. And sandwiched between all this, or I should say, they will watch God's prophecy come to pass. They will watch a great empire the Babylonians, ruthless men, filled with pride and arrogance, they will watch a whole nation crumble, destroyed. And this is why the five woes, they were destroyed by five things. They were destroyed because of their wine, their drunkenness, their sex, extortion, and bloodshed. They were party animals, entertainment, ruthless, ruthless people. 
And the worst of it all, they trusted in idols. Those wooden things that cannot hear, the wooden things that cannot see, the carved images that cannot hear or speak back or deliver, that the nations of the world trust in. So they didn't trust in God. So at the end, there was no hope in them. There was no hope for them whatsoever. They were destroyed because of it. Their false religion, their false trust, their false hope, their false sense of security, their idols, their religions, their politics, their philosophies, at the end cannot stop God's word of woe. Can't stop it. When God says woe is coming, guess what? Woe is coming. You can't stop the woe. You can Once God says it, you cannot stop it. And please do I need to remind you that woe is coming upon the whole world. Jesus teaches that clearly. That woe is coming. But understand something this. Listen to how God speaks to his people. Sandwiched between five woes is verse 14. Verse 14, out of nowhere it comes, this ultimate hope. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's like, where'd that come from? Like, uh, uh, you know, what are you telling me? You know, you're telling me about the destruction of Babylon, and, and, and now you're telling me the earth is going to be filled with the glory. But understand something. This is a biblical, continual revelation that God has spoken to Moses. He spoke to the psalmist. He spoke to Isaiah that one day, as Peter says, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The presence of the Lord will be there. The knowledge of the glory of God will be there. It is not a mental understanding of facts. It is a personal understanding and relationship with God himself. One day the whole earth will be filled with faithful believers who have a deep and abiding relationship with God. That's what it means. That's what it means. In the midst of the eve of destruction... Habakkuk is receiving this from the Lord. He went in there with a complaint. He went in there perplexed about God. He doesn't understand God's ways. God is explaining to him how it's going to go. He reminds him that one day the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. One day the whole earth will be filled with a faithful remnant that will live in personal communion with God forever. You know, you would think, Habakkuk, what is it? God, isn't there anything you can do now immediately for me? I mean, I'm in trouble now. I, you don't, give me, don't, don't give me the ultimate hope. Don't give me some pie-in-the-sky theology. I need something practical. God gives him nothing practical. He gives him the word. He gives him future hope. He gives him ultimate destiny. Peter says it this way, it's a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. All this insight into the future is overwhelming to the prophet. It's so overwhelming. We don't know which way he's going to go, but verse 20 teaches us that. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. He goes into this reflective worship of God. 
This man who was complaining, this man was overwhelmed by seeing the wickedness around him. This man who, was, who thought there was no hope, who thought God was idle. All of a sudden, when one chapter and one answer from God, he gets a revelation. Am I kidding me? God has always been in control. He's in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent with all their opinions, all their murmurings, all their groanings. God is on the throne. Let every man fear for his life. What do you say? What do you say? Through it, though it looks like bloodshed, extortion, crime, sex, drunkenness, orgies, Violence, brutal dictatorships are ruling the day with their personal idols. Everybody's trusting in something. If you're not trusting in Christ, you're trusting in something. And the worst idol is self. But understand something. God has the last word. In the end, God wins. And that's what Habakkuk is saying. He's writing in a vision, something that's going to take place over 90 years. Over 90 years. Nothing immediate. His safety is not intact. He knows the safety of the faithful, of the remnant, of the Israelites, of the name of God. That's intact. For now, they're going to be trampled upon. For now, they're going to be downtrodden. They'll be persecuted. But they're not going to be forgotten. Sooner or later, they're going to rise up. And God's going to bring him back home. And that's enough for the prophet. That's enough. God has the last word. God is in his holy temple. Let all the world and earth be silent before him. God is building a new earth, a new heaven, a new Jerusalem, a new creation. And this is to this end. This is what the prophet's saying. To this end. Human history is moving to the day where the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth. So when Habakkuk's complaining about what he sees, the political, geopolitical world going on around him, and the destruction of Jerusalem, and the destruction of Judah, and he gets a glimpse from the answer that God is in his holy temple, and everything God does, he moves in a direction for his glory at the end, it brings the prophet great peace and great contentment. He's out of himself. He's seeing the world's situation from the throne of God perspective. That's what, the, that's what he's saying. God is on his throne. Basically saying, read chapter 3 when you go home. He's basically saying, who am I? To question God. Who was that beast to say God's idol? How could I think for a moment that God's not in full control? How can I think God will be faithful, unfaithful to his ancient people? How can I think that God would ever be faithful to his remnant? It's so human to think that. It's so human to think that God forgets about us. It's so human to think that God's not in control. It's so cliche to say, oh, Jesus is on the throne and God's on the throne. But does it change our life? Does it change our perspective? 
Does the knowledge that God is in his holy temple put your head down to rest at night and give you peace? When you read the paper and you read the news and you see what's taking place in the world and you see the threat of terror and you see the corruption in politics and you see the dismantling of a great nation just disintegrating before us and we, we want an answer. I have to have an answer. Which one is it? Is it her? Is it him? Is it him? Is it her? And we want an answer and there's a rightful place for politics and Christianity. I'll talk about that. But it has to be done from God is in his holy temple. That's what brings us peace. That's what brings Habakkuk peace. But yet the answer was for an appointed time. It wasn't for 90 more years. But it gave him peace. He wasn't going to be the recipient of this grace. Another future nation, another future people were going to be the recipients. He was going to be recipients of Babylon coming to the city. Besieging the city. He watched people starve. Just read uh, Lamentations and the destruction of Jerusalem. They, they were eating each other's flesh. It was so bad. But Habakkuk could say, God's in his holy temple. Let all the mouths of mere mortals be silent before Almighty God. With our opinions and what God has to do or what God should do. And we throw these things at God as though God's going to run to us. And, oh, I'm so sorry. And we got to get this revelation like Job. What was I mad when I questioned God? I am not against voting. I'm not against where I believe the righteous vote should go. Not at all. We'll speak more about this over the summer. But everything should be done with the full knowledge that God is in his holy temple. That's where our prayer is conducted from. That's where my vote is given from. That's what lays me down to sleep at night. I don't know what's going to come upon this nation. But I can tell you right now, it's not going to be good. If it ain't going to be, if it's not this time around, it's going to be the next time around, the next time around. In 15, 20 years, I mean, it's getting so hard for religious freedom and liberties. There's such an attack on the Christian faith from the left. It is so, how can I, it's so aggressive. And it's happening so fast. I might not see what I would love to see. But one day I know I'll see a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I know that every knee is going to bow before Jesus Christ and say, you are Lord and Savior. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some of us are going to do it as Savior. Others are going to bow before him as the divine judge. And no hope whatsoever. Let me go into application with just one observation first. Habakkuk comes to a place of rest in his heart, contentment and peace, because God explained to him his ways. And what he was saying to Habakkuk was, Habakkuk, I will deal with all evil and all injustice in my time 
in my way. We have to realize that one day, every knee is going to bow before Christ and confess his lordship, but not his saviorship. We, the faithful, will confess his saviorship over our life. They will have to bow the knee before divine authority. They will see a man, maybe 5'7", 5'8", 140 pounds, with nail-pierced hands and feet, the crown of thorns still marked in his head. They will see just a man. Just a man. They will see the God-man in all his divine, regal authority. Not on a throne a hundred feet high, not five hundred feet tall. Just a man. And every knee is going to bow before this man whose heart was bowed to God his whole life on earth. And they will give an account of their whole entire existence. For me, that shuts my mouth up. Nobody gets away with anything. What they whispered in the bedroom will be shouted on the rooftops. Every scandal, every crime, every death, every evil ambition, every evil selfish motive will be judged in its entirety out of every human heart. As Paul says, according to his gospel, when Jesus Christ comes back and judges the thoughts and intentions of men's hearts. Don't think anybody's getting away with anything. Don't think that we got to do something so justice prevails. Justice will prevail. In God's timing. In God's way. Application. How much of just knowing God is on the throne directing human history brings comfort to you? There's a learning curve here. There's a learning curve. The closer I get to Christ and closer I get to understanding God's ways that aren't my ways, the closer and more I get to a place of saying, God, let Brian Martin be silent while you're in your holy temple. I really see just how much he's in control. And does that bring a place of reflective praise? Can you go throughout the saying, say, praise God is on the throne. Praise God. When I see the papers and I see what's happening, I say, praise God, Jesus Christ is on the throne. Brings me comfort. Brings me reflective. As I contemplate and reflect, it brings me worship and praise to God. Can we worship God? Here's a question. Can we worship God now for what he's going to do in the future, even though we don't see it or experience it? Habakkuk was. Habakkuk got the word. Can we read the word of God and come to the promises of God that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Does that bring you comfort? What happens if you have to suffer in the interim? Can we say with Job, though he slays me, I will praise him and trust him and worship him? Can we say, when we sang that song, blessed be your name, a road marked with suffering and pain in the offering, I will choose to say, blessed be your name. Can we really do that? That's high doctrine. That's high praise. When we're singing that, just don't sing it. 
we might have to live that out. God's people have always lived that out. I love that song. Blessed be your name in a road marked with suffering, in this pain in the offering, I will choose to say, blessed be your name. Two, is the word of God the last word for you on any issue? When God speaks to an issue, is it settled? Once and for all, or do we complain still? Do we murmur still? Do we still say how long? Or can we really say, Thy will can we really have we grown to a place in our life that we can bring our complaint to the Lord we can bring our, our sights our opinion we can bring these pains to the Lord they're pains they were real in Habakkuk they were painful and they bring it to the Lord but when the Lord spoke when the word of God spoke it bring peace to him it was a settled issue and as I said about the final judgment in chapter 2 chapter 2 is a foreshadowing of the white throne judgment. Chapter 2 is a foreshadowing of hell, of, of ultimate justice. The knowledge that God will finally and perfectly and eternally deal with all evil and those who commit it, does it bring a sense of peace? Not satisfaction. Ha ha, they're going to get it. Retribution for the wicked. This is not about us savoring the destruction of human souls. There's a bigger purpose for this. It's for the glory of God. You and I just don't realize how deep human pride is. People come out of the womb like they invented air. They, they created the lungs that breathe the air. Oh, look at this, water. Oh, we invented the water. We invented the grass. We invented gold. Like, the yeah, gold just showed up. And, uh, oh, look at the oil. We, we found it. No, you didn't find it. God put the oil there. And, 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 and everything, all the currency, all hard currency is like, it's not man-made. It's God-given. Yes. All hard currency is God-given. Silver, gold, platinum. It's all God-given. Man created nothing. Oil man didn't create. Water man didn't create. God is this world's rightful owner, and God is your rightful owner and my rightful owner. He's everybody's rightful owner. And one day we will realize that the rightful owner will get his rightful place in his rightful world. In a new heaven, in a new earth where righteousness dwells. And in the center, you don't need the sun anymore. For the Son of God will himself light up the whole place. And with the knowledge of all this, this glory of God, the knowledge of the glory of God. Can you, can you wait for that? I want to see if you thought theology had to run. Think about it. The whole world, perfect, in harmony with God, all faithful believers, no one hating each other, we'll all love one another. Okay? We'll all love the Lord, we'll be loved by the Lord. The whole earth will be filled with the presence of God. 
that already happened in the giving of the Holy Spirit. He's the first fruits of that final fulfillment. Did you worship God today? I was in tears while worshiping God. You know what that is? I'm experienced the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of God. It's already begun. It's already begun. It began with Abraham. It continued with Moses. It continued with Israel. It continued with the types and shadows, with the prophets. Then he came. The temple came. The sacrifice came. God himself came. He died and rised again. He sent the Spirit of God upon the church. And now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Every time you cry and ask God for forgiveness, you are experiencing the glory of the knowledge of God. Every time you just say, there's hope, there's peace, I thank you, Lord, you're experiencing the presence of the knowledge of the glory of God. Every time you're grateful that your sins are forgiven, your experience, the knowledge of the glory of God. One day we'll experience it perfectly. Father, we thank you for everything you're doing in our life, Father. We thank you that even now we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We've grown inwardly, Father God. We have the guarantee of the Spirit. We have the pledge of the Spirit. We have the deposit of the Spirit. And Father... Because of him, Father God, we have the hope of glory, Christ in us. God, let us rejoice, Father God, that you are on the throne. Not metaphorically, not just in some spiritual cliche, but in very real, practical, tangible, eternal ways. You are governing the destiny of human history and you're bringing the earth to a place that one day will be renewed and perfect and your presence will fill the hearts of all the faithful believers from the Old Testament into the New Testament, Father God. Let us rejoice in this, Father God. And we thank you, Father God, that it's in your word And though it was written for an appointed time, Father God, it will not tarry, it has not tarried, and it will certainly come to pass in Jesus' name.